0: Lady, you picked the wrong girl to adopt. Please, no! Covered with scorpions! With scorpions. Oh. Covered with scorpions! No! Covered with, with scorpions. scorpions! Get them off me!
1: are you evil and do you love the (laughs) turtle what this is our meme we made a meme with langdon langdon should be
2: here uh i kind of want to start somewhere a bit slightly off of center of the movie itself because i want to take kind of a winding path to get this
1: is this is fine because you know what here's the thing is i loved our last episode I loved it so much that this time I made sure I'm using my audio into the correct microphone. <laughs> for this, I apologize to everybody. But I did a whole lot of talking, and I think, why do, why don't you kick us off sure. this time?
2: Do you see the trailer for the Last of Us TV show HBO's doing? No,
1: I've not. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a Last of Us person? Like, What's your relationship with that? I, okay, so here's my relationship with, with Last of Us. I a little bit refuse to play it. Mm -hmm. some of that is because for most of the time it's been out. I haven't had a system that would allow me to play it. Now that I have a system that will allow me to play it, I won't, I don't want to play it because I am. And this is interesting. It's interesting we go here, but we should, we should bring it up because this does has to do with the thing we're talking about today. I'm a little tired of post apocalypses. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit done. There was a really good article on Kotaku about this. About like the post apocalypses, and I say that now, talking to you as I am in the final act of near automata, which I adore five stars, but mm. is a post apocalypse right, right, so anyway, there you go that's why I don't do last i'm I'm kind of done with the whole like zombie survivor fucking
2: yes, thing. okay, that I, was I'm, the word I was looking for zombies, so it's not just that it's post apocalyptic, but it's post apocalyptic with zombies. When do you feel like you got tired of that?
1: When did I get tired of that? Yeah. Um, I got tired of it when I realized A, that people besides me really liked the Walking Dead TV show, and B, that all of those people liked everything except season two, which is the best season. Fight me, mm-hmm. IRL. And basically, the minute they, they got done with what Frank Darabont developed, that show became an unwatchable turd and probably about then i was like you know what miss me
2: mhm and by that point if i'm getting my years right like that was not by any stretch of the imagination the only zombie media on the market you know i feel no. like if you if you recall the late 2000s and early 2010s the way i do Whole lot of fucking zombies. It's
1: just all zombies. zombies
2: everywhere in everything. Like they made zombie like romantic comedies. They made you know the big blockbuster zombie movies like World War Z.
1: That's
2: mm-hmm. every type of thing that you could put zombies in. Plants versus Zombies. Zombies were just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to speculate. I feel like this is like a known thing about this moment in pop culture, right? Like we all kind of know that that's like the zombie thing. era in most in our most recent history. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that like the last of us is the, the real one that can't die. It keeps coming back. You know, it's suddenly it's survived to become a TV show like a decade after this thing was cool. That's kind of interesting. But I, I think we might be overlooking a similar boom period for a different kind of antagonist in a different period of history.
1: I wonder, I think I know where you're, where you're going with this, but please take me there.
2: We don't talk enough about how the 90s was the era of fighting bugs.
1: I We we do not. We do not. I'm mm, I'm glad you went there. Yes. Like, we, right? we kind of need to start here, I feel like. Right. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So, I, I guess let's do your, your power. Ra- well, okay. Let let's not rank po- it. Let's just, t- let's take a look at the landscape. Let's just, you know, top-down non-hierarchical. Let's just see what the web here is, you know? Uh, Okay. I I see why you want to take it this way. Okay. Here's a few things come to mind. Mm -hmm. I think it is inescapable to talk about the Zerg from, from, um, Starcraft.
2: Okay. Okay. Starting with video games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because like it's, it's such a trope right? Like Mm -hmm. Zerg rush is like one of the first memes, like textual memes that I remember like Gen Zers probably don't know. Even many millennials don't, don't know if you're listening to this podcast, but like before you, before like fans mobbed people, there was Zerg rushes.
2: Yeah. 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 Before it was like being swarmed by bots or, you know, that kind of stuff. It was, it was Zerg rushes.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, that's funny because I I do remember, I was thinking recently about some of my like formative aesthetic memories and I remember like the kind of like bad attitude, like neighbor of mine that was like right around the corner whose like older sister was a goth where I got my first corn CDs from in a really strange roundabout route. Uh, One time I had to go and stay at their at their house like after school for some reason And like the minute i walked in the younger brother turned to me and said hey watch this and like imagine just like 90s bully voice you know in your mind it's that guy and he like hit the enter button or whatever and on his computer there was just like an explosion of zerg blood you know mm-hmm. <laughs> he had like starcraft pulled up and immediately i got shuffled out of the room <laughs> Um yeah. So the Zerg are a good example. Um I can't help but think about Starship Troopers as a Mm -hmm. maybe kind of postmodern or satirical example of this kind of phenomenon, right? Obviously Mm -hmm. that movie has a, a pretty pointed black comedic tone about, you know, what it means for humanity to be at war with insects. Right. And
1: uh, Ender's Game is another one that comes to mind. Yes, I'm trying to think. Is when I think the book Ender's Game is actually an 80s book, but like certainly like of the big like sci-fi classics, quote unquote, mm. that I was like encouraged to read in school. Yep, like the first one, Ender's Game was everyone's first sci-fi book in my in, in like my totally generation for, i think for
2: our age our age cohort definitely had a lore a big moment with ender's game that i i i bet hasn't continued i don't know i don't know if ender's game is still popping like that like orson
1: scott card has kind of shot himself in the foot historically speaking you know for sure for sure i mean they tried to make them they made a movie of it and i haven't seen it which probably tells you right. something about yeah, kind of in the, a similar 2010s
2: uh, phenomenon, the YA boom, right? Right. Which is maybe another interesting ingredient to think about Gamera in the context of.
1: Also Last of Us, right? Because you, you play as the teenage daughter, don't you? Right? No,
2: no, you don't. You play as Joel. Uh, you play as the
1: dad. So yeah. it's dad core.
2: Yeah, technically not actual dad, but figurative, you know, dad core thing. Yeah, it's kind of the definitive dad core game. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay.
2: From my understanding.
1: Got it. Well, if we if we want to talk about like the the bug the bug rush, mm-hmm. right? And I think this also pertains to to StarCraft, right? The progenitor movie of this is James Cameron's Aliens.
2: Yeah, uh, that's an er influence for sure, as well as of course like older, you know, what is it? Them The like ant invasion movie from like the fifties or, you know, Mm -hmm.
1: the giant ant movie, which is good. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's actually been on my list to re watch. It's interesting that you, you brought up Ender's game and also Starship Troopers, right? Because like the Starship Troopers movie is nothing like the book. Mm -hmm. Almost at, at all. And that was like this movie that people hated when it came out. Like I remember the visceral reaction that people had to like the Starship Troopers movie, which is funny because I don't think the book was like, like it was popular for sci-fi fans, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like Ender's Game.
2: I think like movie criticism in the nineties was definitely less concerned about like fidelity to source material is more like, this movie's
1: corny and
2: gross, you know, is probably more of the critical reaction. If I had to guess, right?
1: I think that's true, and also like I think there, I think people just weren't ready for like a a dark comedy about like cable news and fascism.
2: Yeah, no, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people didn't read it correctly. They didn't get that it was like you know, it had other intentions for the way, like the way it was showing this information. It's a really, it, the movie requires you to have some cynicism, you know, right. Uh, or at least some satirical edge to you in order to, I don't know. Now I feel like I'm, I'm well,
1: but, but describing it
2: this way makes it sound like much more edge Lordy than it. I think it is, but
1: it's actually remarkably like not edge Lordy. Like it's very based starship troopers is a very based fucking movie. And I think that's why it's aged. Very well. Really well. Yeah. Right? Even though it it killed Paul Verhoeven's career. (laughs) Well, the one two punch of that and
2: um what's the showgirls? Uh well, but
1: Showgirls was a hit, right? Like it was like But it was
2: critically despised. So, you know.
1: Right. He was on the
2: way towards a certain kind of irrelevance at that point. Or not irrelevance, but you know,
1: right general apathy towards his work. And then he he does after that he, speaking of corn after that his like last big movie i think is like Hollow Man his mm-hmm. invisible man movie right right which is has a super new metal soundtrack like i i think there is like a scene where invisible kevin bacon is like blasting evanescence doing donuts in a sports car <laughs> like i think that is an actual thing that happens <laughs> oh god in, in Hollow Man would be the era for that to happen um,
2: but so bugs, like why bugs though? Like if we're, you know, so starship troopers is basically a, a movie that is, it's a propaganda film for its own universe, sort of like it's an in-universe propaganda film of itself would probably be the best way to describe the movie. Uh, yes. The,
1: the book is more or less explicitly an argument for military fascism mm-hmm. and like, it's argument sort of is military fascism is preferable to communism and the metaphor for communism is the bugs.
2: Right. Right. Uh, and yeah, I think that's kind of the recurring use of bugs as like a villain in a lot of science fiction is like the bugs are a stand in for a sort of like collectivism, Mm -hmm. you know, like instead of the individual, they are this like hive mind, you know uh, it's, it's taking the sort of philosophical ideological conflicts of, uh, you know, capitalist liberalism or, and, you know, communist collectivism and bashing them against each other. Right. Uh, in art. It's
1: um, well, it's so if it's interesting that you, you, juxtapose them with zombies, right? Because zombies, like the idea of like the zombie, the mindless right. consumer, right. that's, that's the capitalist monster. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. That's interesting.
1: And the bugs are like the Soviet or Chinese, the the post World War II communist country critique is like, oh, you're just drones.
2: Yeah, and specifically, it's it's othering in a kind of way. You know, it's it's distinguishing itself from humanity. You know, or like you you describe the enemy as a bug to to remove the humanity of it to some extent, Mm. which I think. You know, science fiction has then doubled around on I'm thinking of stuff like District Nine or even Ender's Game, which I think kind of subverts this and tries to find empathy, you know, across that kind of disconnect. But I think that's also sort of the creepy fascist undertones of the, you know, bug as sci-fi metaphor.
0: Right. Uh, right.
1: The interesting thing about Starship Troopers is ultimately if you read into the, into the book, it's reviewed in the film not the book. The book is quite mm-hmm. obvious, but if you read into the film, it actually has this very weird middle unknowable take on the, on the bugs. Right. Because like, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty clear that spoilers, if you haven't seen starship troopers, the film, don't worry about the book. Cause this is nothing like the book, but like in the film, it's pretty clear that like the, the strike against the earth, the meteor strike is just sort of like uh made up,
2: well, it's just random happenstance. It's yeah. random
1: happenstance, well, right? It's
2: it's pretext. It, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, like if you if you're aware of American military history, this kind of thing is uh,
1: it, ha- it happens from time to time. You know, uh, nine nine eleven. <laughs> Wonder what Starship Troopers would have been received like in a post nine eleven world. Then again, post nine eleven, you couldn't make it.
2: Well, I think it's why it has aged well like that is the exactly the fact that we can so clearly see the beats of this same thing playing out. You mm-hmm. know, it makes it like makes the metaphor really, really obvious in retrospect.
1: Right. right. And, and, and the bugs are like, they're intelligent, but also not right. Like that's sort of mm-hmm. like it's take on, it's like, they're just animals. Like their civilization is so unlike mankind that they just like oh, shitting lasers and sucking people's brains out is just like animal behavior to them. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Well, crucially, humans are like given that history, given that context of the invasion being done on a pretext and not an act of self-defense. It is an invasion. It is an attempt to take over the bug planet, planets, right? You know, and for the most of the movie, you're right. It is depicted that they are just like brute animals that need to be eliminated because they hate humans so much. But there's that crucial turning point at the end where I think the movie kind of really lays its hand out for people who, you know, hadn't gotten the point yet where Neil Patrick Harris as like the sort of, you know, in an SS outfit, pretty much like psychic Nazi. To, yeah. Psychic Nazi reads the the captive, you know, bug leaders brain and determines it's afraid and then turns to the crowd like fist up. It's afraid, you know, and mm-hmm. that's the more you realize like, oh they do have their own agency in life. And this is an act of brutal, you know, genocide on the part of the humans to like take over this territory. Like <laughs> it's,
1: it's pretty vicious in it's critique, you know? Right. It, it's interesting that you mentioned genocide. We'll, we'll get into it. I, I thought this was going to be a fast episode. I guess it isn't, but that's okay. Mm. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into that. We were getting to talk about starship troopers and the, my read on that scene is actually that like at at any point in time, do they prove that Neil Patrick Harris is actually psychic? He's portrayed as psychic, but does he do a psychic thing in the movie? Is he just saying it's it's afraid because that's what he wants it to be. Well, that's,
2: that's what the message is being sent in the context of the whole movie being like a, a propaganda film. You could look at it as like, this is the message that we want to send like we are our enemies cower in fear of our, you know, military strength. Correct. If the whole movie is like this, you know, ridiculous recruitment ad essentially where all of the soldiers are being played by like soap opera or like, you know, teen drama YA actors essentially,
1: pointedly. You know, pointedly. Yeah, like yeah. That was that was um Paul Verhoeven's like intent. He sought mm-hmm. those actors out for the for that purpose.
2: Uh, and I think it's, it really heightens the degree to which you need to question, you know, the information that you're seeing in the film. So yeah, it's part of the ultimate message is that humanity wants to encourage potential recruits to feel right. like, oh, your, your enemies will run from you in fear, that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in either case, this movie, Gamera 2, Attack of Legion, came out right around the same time. It did and was definitely in the same milieu consciously of, you know, all of this other bug related and en- enemy stuff, actually animorphs kind of similar slugs slugs are a bit of a different flavor of bug, but a bug, well, they're you know, mind relative. control,
1: They're mind control aliens. I'd put the Yerks more in the realm of they live like, yeah, in, yeah. In, yeah, in the uncomfortable thing, right. secret controller, puppet master mm-hmm. type thing. But the, their attack species, they do have a giant bug attack species. So like yeah, in yeah, animorphs, okay. they are, they do like fight giant bugs. Um, also animorphs like Gamera ostensibly for children and also ultra violent.
2: Yeah. 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 That is a, a good note uh, to have here. Cause I think this movie leans into both the Gamera is for the children in the way that like Wu-Tang is for the children. And also the, uh, you know, you best protect your neck kind of (laughs) part of the Wu-Tang Clan, you know? Uh, Yeah, Gamera gets his ass handed to him really, really severely in this movie.
1: Uh, Wow. Anyway. Like twice. Yeah. It's three, sorry, three times. Like in in every fight, Gamera nearly dies.
2: So I want to start with the bugs because... I found that my reaction to this movie and it's villainous bugs was so different than the way that I felt about any of these other previous examples. There's something like so specific that's going on in this movie that I just like really blew my mind. Um, So what do you make of like, why bugs? Like what is, what's the deal with Legion that, you know, is so titularly attacking our friend (laughs) camera.
1: Sure. I mean, so for there's a there's a few ways to sort of. I have a Galaxy Brain Mind Melt take on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna maybe keep it in pocket for right now, but I think there's a few ways to to read Legion in in this right. If you look at the the pop culture trends, right? So the year before. So the year Gamer 1 came out in 1995. The last 90s Godzilla movie came out. Mm-hmm. The 90s Godzilla movie is Godzilla versus Destroyer. Destroyer, also Colony of Bugs. Mm-hmm. The director of that movie's favorite film is Aliens. And I think he, he has openly said, he's like, I wanted to do something like aliens right so and and one of the effective parts of destroyer is there are more like scenes with the humans and the little destroyer drones Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. that
1: are sort of cameron-esque right Right. and they're making Gamera 2 it was put into production very very quickly by the way yeah because it comes out like 11 months after the first one like it's fast it's fast Mm -hmm. which is remarkable considering how good it is i think
2: yeah yeah
1: So I I think part of them is they're thinking sort of like, oh, we've got blue sky territory. No more Godzilla movies. Mm -hmm. Like the series is over. Godzilla dies at the end of Godzilla versus Destroyer. So they're like, okay, we can just sort of go wild. What do we do? What if we sort of one up Destroyer? What's better than Destroyer? Legion. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's one way to, or at least how they came upon that idea. That's one take. The other take is... There is an unfortunate, we talked about this in the first movie, but more so in this movie, there is an unfortunate conservative political read of this film. Mm-hmm. And some people have pointed out that J- Japan's primary geopolitical concern was and remains China,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a nominally at least communist country, or at least a country run by a communist party. Right. Right. And so multiple people have pointed out that, Oh, you know, the, the Legion is sort of could be read as a metaphor for China Mm -hmm. for like, and I believe China's economy was on the rise in the nineties as Japan's was kind of wavering after the eighties. Yeah. I could see how that fits into,
2: you know, if we take it in the context of these other examples as like bug as collectivist enemy, it could certainly be read that way. But I feel like the movie makes another interesting claim about itself kind of early on, Mm -hmm. like before Gamera shows up, which first of all, I think is great. How long they delay Gamera arriving on the scene, uh, since they don't need to like set him up anymore. He just can show up and be himself whenever they need him to be. Um, and it's just this great tense, like, when's he gonna, when's he gonna show up, you know? Right. But before he does, when there's the conversation happening about ants and fungi and the symbiotic relationship between like a plant life form and the, you know, this, the insectoid life form. Right. Once Gamera then does show up in the wake of this conversation, it kind of recasts humanity in a really interesting light. Right. Because like, there's a scene where he, you know, he gets to the plant. He immediately knows what to do. It's like call like Gamera is like planet earth's superintendent, you know, like right. he doesn't, he doesn't own the place that's Godzilla, but uh, he will show up and get rid of, Oh, you got a bird problem. Call Gamera. You got a bug problem. Call Gamera. <laughs> like he'll He's show your up and exterminator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, you know, blows the plant up immediately knows what to do, but then he gets swarmed by all the bugs. And which is genuinely horrifying, just like so upsetting. Especially it's, considering how much you care about Gamera from the first movie. Like to ha- start off like that is just like, whoo, mm-hmm. fuck that. That's terrifying. But then it cuts to this sea of people spectating and watching, and suddenly that dynamic of like an, an enemy of two, like of a symbiotic pair of creatures, mm-hmm. like. Are we not like, am I I immediately just felt like, Oh, they're making a point about like humanity's symbiotic relationship with gamma at this point.
1: Yes. Okay. I'm going to drop my galaxy brain take here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Okay. This, this movie is about the bonds bet- between life forms. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you, if you look at like the, the document there's because multiple documents in English that you can like read if you freeze the frame. Right. There's right. a document where they, the, the full name of the Kaiju is symbiotic Legion. Hmm. Right. And it's, yeah, you hear
2: it's, one of the news, uh, the news anchors say it in English. If you can listen past the overdubbed, uh, Japanese.
1: Hmm. Hmm. The first movie's big critique of humanity is that we're disconnected from the planet. Yeah. We're, yeah. we we do not have a good relationship with, with, the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. The Legion are an interesting critique and also ultimate expression of that because like they have no home planet. They're not connected to any planet at all. They're like locusts, right? Like they exactly there. There's this idea that like if we spread to the stars, if Elon got his way, we'd be the Legion, Mm -hmm. right? But on the other hand, they have this incredibly intimate relationship with the, the plants that they live on. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's sort of saying like humanity doesn't have that with anything, not with dogs. Dogs are our subjects. Mm -hmm. We don't need dogs. Like the legions need the flowers. Right. Right. And like the queen goes to insane lengths to ensure that one of the flowers blooms. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the irony there is, in the climax, the movie you get for the first time, it is like the big emotional payoff is like the human beings in gamma working in tandem. Right? Exactly. It's about them learning to, they do briefly become symbiotic and the literal dramatic irony. This is a movie that's literally ironic is in order to defeat the Legion queen. Gamera's nuclear option is forcibly severing his bond with humanity.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's bringing humanity into a mature relationship with nature. Essentially. Right. It's,
1: at, at the, at the cost of intimacy with our protector. Yeah. You could, you could say our savior even because like this movie's got so much religion shit in it.
2: From like the very in like the introduction of the title shot is a giant black cross that Mm. lands on an explosion. And it's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Evangelion people worked on this. No shit. Like
1: (laughs) there's so much Ava shit in this movie.
2: Uh, even down to the violence, I would say that was another sign of like, one of the things that you kind of forget every time you step away from Evangelion for a while and come back to it is that like immediately violent it is, and how all of the violence has like plot consequences. Like it doesn't just feel like you roll over onto the next one. Like confrontation and violence in, in this movie every single time has like dramatic consequences. It is right, it is necessarily brutal violence in this movie because you feel the weight of it every time it happens,
1: right? Yeah, the 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 and, and the violence isn't even always like sensational which is also true in evangelion like right. some of evangelion's most like dramatic scenes are i think of misato putting her bra on and you see the scar on her chest mm-hmm. right what i'd relate that to is like in the scene where gamera is flying away he goes disc form and he's flying away from the legion soldiers Right. Yeah. You get the, this amazing scene where like he's reflected in the building. The characters are in flies past it and they just like fire hose the building with green blood. Mm-hmm. And and the one character, uh, I think her name is Midori, right? Let me pull up my notes just to make sure. I, characters are the weakness in this movie, I should say.
2: Which I um, think is actually a strength to this point. Uh, okay. But we'll get there, I guess.
1: Midori goes up to the glass and she's like, Oh, the blood of Gamera And like it raised Catholic. And she's like the blood of Christ.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. It's, you can't help but make that kind of connection. Like Gamera's relationship with humanity early on is as this kind of, you know, he's the one who will be injured and suffer pain in order for humanity to survive. Cause humanity can't take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie you're right i the movie doesn't quite like hammer home this point i don't necessarily think but Mm -hmm. it implies it in kind of an emotional way which is is pretty cool because like essentially gamera gets his ass so brutally handed to him the second time that he fights legion that he essentially dies and gets resurrected which is its own kind of you know obviously a a christ-like thing but it's interesting the difference is in the wake of that resurrection, so your interpretation is that once the object connecting him to Asagi breaks, that he is no longer connected to humanity.
1: I have knowledge you don't. Uh-huh. Wait for the third movie, okay. but the, the, yes, this is a central plot point. It, it's also worth noting that um, this is sort of interesting. So the the literal translation of of this movie's title is the invasion of Legion, mm-hmm. right? it's in every current version it's called attack of legion but before this movie was officially released in the united states the the accepted translation of the title was advent Mm. of legion right more catholic shit advent is the season leading up to Lent. Lent is about the death and rebirth of Christ. So if this is the advent of Legion, this is the story of the time leading up to Gamera's death and rebirth.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: I, and I, I think that translation, I wish they would have stuck with that. I understand that it doesn't actually work, but I th- I think it was very good. That I think is like maybe the most
2: poetic title that you could give to this, but, you know, Attack of Legion...
1: That sells it to the cheap seats a bit better. you know. Sure. Uh, I remember when I first saw this movie, I thought it was so fucking like, and it, this is now like not very, but I thought it was super like literary and cool when like the guy quotes the Bible and says, and our name is Legion for we are many. And I'm like, Oh, they used the Bible to like give the name to the monster. It makes so much sense. Can you tell I loved Evangelion? Right. <laughs> um, it's like the most Evangelion-y thing in the movie beyond Gamera being frozen like a rock in the sunset after having a <laughs> nuclear bomb explode on him.
2: Right. Yeah. You almost hear the... Well, the interesting thing is you, you don't hear, you know, the bugs chirping because the setting of this movie, for the most part, takes place in the north instead of the south, which I thought was a cool... In know, winter. Yeah, in winter. It's a totally different vibe than the, you know, Gamera arriving in summer and... It being all of these like bright yellows and oranges for so much of the, you know, the first movie, this one is much you know colder, a lot of snow on the ground, a lot of gray, a lot of blue, right? Uh, Aesthetically just a a very different look, which I thought cool way to differentiate the two movies and fits this kind of thematic idea of like all of it leading up to Gamera's death, you know, having it be like a winter metaphor, winter metaphor fits that too.
1: Right. I mean, Lent is in spring. Advent is in winter. Mm -hmm. Advent is the period of time between Christmas and, and Easter. Yeah. 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 Um, can't you see Gamera's breath once? Well, I don't know about
2: that. I didn't, I did love like when he first, you know, sets foot. Literally you see like the snow explode up from the ground like as right. he's walking around uh like Hokkaido. What is it Sapporo at the beginning or had he gone further north by that point?
1: No, it's Sapporo and uh-huh. um it it blink and you'll miss it um even though there's a few other ad placements. That's also very very uh capitalismy. There's so much ad placement in this movie. Yeah. Um including for Mariah the, Carey, which I thought was also appropriately wintry, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It all it all sort of works together. Um the the first Legion attack scene
0: mm. uh,
1: is in the Kirin beer factory.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: that, I, I always thought that of, was like, so fucking neat.
2: 10,000 bottles of beer. What
1: a waste. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. I, she is all of us. <laughs> it is truly Midori is in every woman. Do we want to maybe briefly touch on
2: the characters? Because there isn't really a lot to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, we, we should. So there's Midori, the children's science teacher mm. who somehow gets involved with every, just gets a front row seat to everything just by dint of, I don't know, babysitting <laughs> yeah. kids. Although I, I think there's something there too, but go on. So there's Midori.
2: Um. Well, I don't have all the characters names up in front of me, so maybe you should, you should take this one.
1: <laughs> okay. 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 So. The, main, the two main characters are Midori and Colonel Watarase, mm-hmm. who's, they, they sort of, they don't really have a meet cute, they just sort of have like a, a flashlight wave, but it's like the first JSDF guy mm-hmm. on the scene when the Legion Meteor lands, and this science professor.
2: Right, they're kind of, the, the relationship between these two characters is sort of the bridge between like the science portion of the movie and and the military portion of the movie. Um, and what's interesting to me is that none of the characters like ever show up alone really in this movie. Like they always come in pairs or with like a teammate. There's like this kind of constant theme of like groups of people. The only right. like character that I can think of that spends his entire Stay in the movie alone as the train conductor who immediately gets killed by one of the bugs, right? Um, but otherwise, every everyone else, it's like yeah, it's Midori and like her assistant or like the older teacher at the school
1: or her boss, yeah. Or and and Waterase also has his like science officer, mm-hmm. the more beefcake dude as right. his sidekick, whose yeah, yeah. job is just there to like give you science babble.
2: None of these characters really have too much. Uh, to them, I would say, you know no. we get like one nice scene at Midori's uh family home where she reveals that she keeps um some you know bottles of liquor behind her books right uh, and there's you know some very easy humor about like her dad thinking it's weird that there's a bunch of strange men in her apartment, right, but that is two, about as much specifically
1: two strange men, yeah, right, <laughs> two soldiers right. It's, it's interesting to think of it, that's almost sort of like a raunchy joke of him being like, there's two soldiers up there with my daughter and his right. wife being like, no, 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 let it happen. <laughs> um, right. right. What is going on? What would Satoshi Cohen make of this?
2: Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. Like otherwise the, the human characters, we get one recurring character from the previous movie, which is Asagi, Uh, and even she doesn't show up alone cause she has like her friend that, Uh, like breaks her ankle that she is introduced with. Um, Obviously she eventually comes to kind of stand in as like a individual amongst a field field of, you know, non-individuals. Yeah. Characters. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting to the degree to which it's like they really underplay the individuality of any given character in this movie. And it always feels like groups of people rather than like
1: individual actors. You're you're right. I think okay, uh, it makes thematic sense. I personally think the first film has such strong characters for a kaiju movie mm-hmm. that I think this movie on a, it, it, it tells a weaker story for that reason. Watarase has no motivation. Midori has no motive. They're just sort of like there. They're mm-hmm. they're just sort of like observers, right? I think the movie picks up more when Asagi comes back into it, um, because like Asagi's Asagi's the main character of Asagi's the Shinji. Like she's the main character of this series, the human stand-in, right? right and like yeah. I think that's something that the first film did really well is like figure out how to square the human kaiju connection, and this film. Uh, not so much. That's my big critique of it. Sure. I would say that
2: it's kind of crucially different from the first movie in that way, because the first movie is about humans getting out of humanity's way in some way. You know, it's about interpersonal relationships within humanity. And this movie is more because like I was thinking I rewatched Gamera one before watching this one. And like, if it wasn't for humanity, Uh, Gamera would have mopped the floor with the Gauss like right so quickly like the fact that he just kills one like the by showing up you know the first thing he does is pop out of the water and swat one of them into like a giant like explosion he takes care of them so quickly that the real dynamic of the first movie is how are humanity how is humanity going to like take the ego check of needing to get needing to get out of Gamera's way
1: right right. And and have the military people like swallow their pride enough to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this support the turtle. Well, but that doesn't really happen in the first movie, but it does happen in this one. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying about this one. Like, that's what this one is. This one is about swallowing pride.
2: Yeah, I, this right? movie takes place in a world where humanity's like position in, re- in the film's reality is just inherently knocked down a peg. Like yes. the only actual individual in this film is Gamera, and like, Asagi, and Asagi by proxy. But right. even that is kind of interesting because it is the connection between them that grants her her kind of individuality in the world of humanity. But right. otherwise, like there are no human characters because there are no human individuals in the world of Gamera too. You know. <laughs> Right. There's just how does humanity relate to Gamera symbiotically and how do they combat this other invading symbiotic relationship, you know?
1: Yes. And, and on that level, I think it's very, very strong.
2: Yeah. I, I, it doesn't work it's, it's conventionally, movie. but it, like, it's, it's, why, it's part of why the movie really
1: blew me away, for sure. I'm, I'm glad it had this reaction. I, like, I, I was super nervous... That you'd fall off after the first one Mm -hmm. because this one is like, so like, not just literally, but figuratively, like, it's a very cold movie. Yeah. It's also like the tone is super different, right? Like typical in a trilogy. Oh, you know, the middle one's the dark one. Yeah. Right. But
2: the way that you talked about the first one opening sort of like a horror movie, I feel like you may have imported some of your feelings about this movie onto the first one. Cause this one really feels like a horror movie early on for sure.
1: The, the first movie starts as a gamma garden of the universe starts as a horror movie and turns into a superhero movie. This movie starts as a horror movie and turns into a war movie. Hmm. Like the last third of this movie is just one big fucking war
2: sequence. Right. The, the coldness that you're describing reminds me a lot of war movies in that way. And that they're war movies are kind of an interesting example. Sometimes of this kind of thing where it's so zoomed out from the individual that it has that similarly cold affect to it where you're just watching larger logistical pieces moving around on a board Mm -hmm. And the degree to which this movie plays like beat by beat on a plot level and not on a character level sort of adds to that coldness. Like it's a developing situation rather than a plot invoked by like decisions made by characters.
1: Correct. It's so here's something over this last month. I've watched all the Stanley Kubrick movies, Mm -hmm. some of them for the first time. I'd never seen the end of Full Metal Jacket. And maybe that's just, like, looming, like, in my mind, right? Because it's new to me still. Yeah. But, like, I do see some Full Metal Jacket in in this, not only in, like, the clear act divides, right? But also in the sense that, like, in Full Metal Jacket, there's, like, a character. There is one main character, right? But, like, he doesn't do very much. He just sort of like wisecracks. He's just sort of like your stand-in as you follow the developing situation in like the life of a Vietnam soldier, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like Watcharasse is kind of kind of the same. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I feel like there's a bit cuz correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of the movie ultimately hinges on whether or not Joker is going to shoot the sniper at the end, right? The-
1: yes but it's it's that is true but it's not really i don't think full metal jacket is a film that like really like amounts to like a, a huge consequential decision yeah uh-huh
2: i just i feel like the it, this is maybe me misremembering full metal jacket because it's been like 15 years since i've seen it but uh i what i remember is it kind of going from him being this secondhand observer to eventually needing to actually take part in the, the world that he's found himself in. And Mm -hmm. that, that transition from like observer to actor is kind of the arc of the movie.
1: But yeah, yes. I mean, that's true. I mean, but for water, sort of the same, like he's not, he's a passive JSCF dude until at the end, he's got to go like handgun it against a Legion soldier.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is I, which is cool, by the way. I like I like that sequence.
2: Mm. It's so freaky. Like one of the we should obviously we need to devote some time to talk about Shinji Higuchi's special effects uh, and the monster designs in this in this movie because they're out of control. Good, but that particular moment of of heroism where he shoots the bug and it's just air coming out of it, mm-hmm. and the fact that that is like justified in the movie makes it feel like it really highlights the like oh this is a different life form like this has nothing to do with life on earth it is and even though it's like the like the cheapest possible special special effect of shooting air out of a hole you know right but it's it is so effective at like provoking this kind of primal response uh right yeah man this movie is so good top to
1: bottom so good i i think the, the other interesting thing about midori i think i just want to do this real quick and this mm-hmm. is gonna trans this is gonna segue really well i think the interesting thing about Midori, it's not really highlighted very much, but it's I think it's meaningful that her role in society is a teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's a caregiver to children, right? What? And, yeah, go for it, keep going. Well, because like her her sort of the dramatic like inverse to hers, the Legion Queen.
2: Hmm. Mm -hmm. because this is definitely an an aliens kind of take
1: on it. I like it. It's totally an aliens take. I mean, so much of sci-fi lives in the shadow of alien and aliens, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But an alien is my vote for is my, I think, I think the my favorite film I've ever seen. Um, But like, like the, the Legion queen is a mother, but a mother who truly gives no shits about her children. Like her, like her relationship to the soldiers is, here, fight the turtle for me. Right. That's it. Right. Whereas like Midori is not related to her students, but wants to like usher them into like a world. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I think that's interesting. I, I almost wish the film like played with the symbolism more because Kaneko is capable of that. Like you see that in the first and the third movies, like Mm -hmm. this, this, the, thematic character subtexts are much more accentuated um they're very thin in this yeah but i I think think, it's there
2: do you think that has maybe something to do like obviously i like the, the the thinness of this movie in some respect i think i've kind of like bought in on the the way that that makes the movie feel for me but i will acknowledge that it absolutely is there and i can understand why other people would kind of bounce off it to some extent but do you feel like that thinness comes from like the shorter development time and the quicker turnarounds to make this movie happen? Like did the third movie have a bit more of a longer runway?
1: Third movie had a way longer runway. Okay, so mm. here's the here's the story is they they begin working on Gamera 2 before Guardian of the Universe comes out.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's already enough like confidence in what they had
1: to just like keep pumping them out yeah so Daie was super happy with the rough cut of garden like they, they they saw the same movie you and i did mm-hmm. they know they're like this is good this should not be this good yeah right like
2: strike while the iron is hot we don't know if we can repeat this magic twice kind of thing yeah
1: mm-hmm. and kazunori ito is buds with shusuke kaneko mm-hmm. and so the story is he sends kaneko a christmas card And the Christmas card is, like, Shusuke, my dude, I love you. I can't wait to do Gamera 2 and Gamera 3 with you. Uh And, like, Kaneko, like, calls and is like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, oh, no. I've got two and three planned out, bud. I didn't tell you. But, like, I've got it. I've got the plan. Mm -hmm. And, And Kaneko was happy enough with making one that he basically signed on to, to sight unseen. Hadn't really, like, seen the script. And I think you see that in, like, this script has way more, like, sci-fi stuff. Like, you can tell the guy who did the Ghost in the Shell movie, is it, he's yeah. just so into dropping, like, random science facts into dialogue. Yeah, the whole first... Deve- the whole kind of first act of the movie,
2: and, like, the humans using science to kind of learn to understand the Legion felt like a way more like hard sci-fi kind of approach to the storytelling. Like, Oh, you have to kind of be interested in like whether silicone is part of glass or not, you know? Right. Even in just like the way that like the action sequences are shot early on, it's like you, they really want you to know that the glasses are being attacked and not the people and all that sort of stuff. There's like a, yes, less human touch, more like sci-fi nerd kind of thing to it.
1: Right, for sure, for sure. And I think every Gamera movie is like a... The first one's like a reaction to the Godzilla movies and also the previous Gamera series, right? Mm -hmm. This one's also like a reaction to Guardian of the Universe. And like if there's a critique of Guardian of the Universe that I think is fair, it's once they get to the suit level stuff, the monster on monster is not... It's great for what it is. Yeah, but it's not not perfect. Like...
2: Like I definitely feel like we hyped it up a bit more than it ne- might have deserved in our first episode about the series. I think I was just kind of enthusiastic and maybe I'll feel that way about the second one too. I don't know, but I don't think I will. Uh, it
1: rides, it rides high on its own enthusiasm. Like the yeah, enthusiasm of the first one is infectious. That's, right? that's like, the best way to put it. Yeah.
2: Like, right. It's just
1: sick to watch that turtle spin. Like it just rules. <laughs> like it gets by on good vibes. Right. And, but th- this one is obviously like a reaction to the first one, mm-hmm. right? In that, like, I think Higuchi, Kaneko, and Ito were all like together. They're like, okay, the monster fights will fuck. They will be so good. Yeah. They will be the best. I think the first time Gamera fights the Legion Queen is probably the best suitmation kaiju fight that's ever been filmed. I mean, even when he
2: first lands, like after flying around and just like the articulation of him standing up for the first time, I was, it was a real, like, Oh, they really figured it out. They've, they've kind of cracked it. And right. You know, the, the detail of him, like crawling with bugs and shit, which obviously again, just like really, really sad, sad yeah. stuff to watch, watch our boy suffer that way. Yeah. And then, Oh my God, the articulation of the the Legion queen, all of those different limbs, like moving in concert. And the idea that that's like someone in a suit, it's like, Holy
1: shit. (laughs) How'd they do that? (laughs) I can tell you how it's two people and a team of puppeteers. Wow. Um, yeah. So Shinji Higuchi designed the Legion queen and it's, it's like a, it's like your horse costume where Mm -hmm. you've got like a guy in the front and a guy in the back. So there's someone in the front being the legs and the head.
2: Right. And then the giant back arms are the second person. There's
1: two pairs of giant back arms. There's one pair of giant back arms that's a person. There's another pair that's puppeteered. Uh And there's a whole team of people with pneumatics doing the little creepy crawly, like the side head feelers. And, And opening and closing like the mandible. Spike, it's like it's a huge production. Yeah. I've seen photos of the suit. It's as big as a room. <laughs> you you need to transport it with like a truck. It's it's fucking huge. Yeah, you it, you can tell it's
2: big because like it makes Gamora look tiny most of the time. Like right. It's it's so interesting going from you know having again rewatched the first one and reflecting on how easy the opponents are by comparison cuz like immediately Gamera is dwarfed by the size of the thing that like you're facing it it immediately draws you to the only conclusion that the only way either of you know the main characters humanity and Gamera, are going to win is if they work together like right th- it just demands that level of uh, of attention as a as a threat
1: there's two there's two shots i think with the queen in particular that like just really stand out to me one of them is like camera isn't in it it's like when the queen uses her her face beam Mm -hmm. against like the artillery the jstfs like artillery barrage yeah and they like it's very clear that they like Actually set up a huge Hollywood sized explosion and had someone in the Legion suit right next to it. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's so it's so fucking massive. Um it, it's wild. And then later, I, I think the first fight scene is technically better, but the final Legion Queen fight, there's this part where She's got Gamera pinned, mm-hmm. and she's gonna face beam him at point blank range again. Very Evangelion energy. Yeah, There's yeah. Big Zeruel energy the Legion Queen has, like mm-hmm. in in her like childish nastiness.
2: The nastiness and also the brutality of the injuries suffered, like from the Rip. You know, like right. Gamera getting his shoulder busted open. Like, right. Yeah, similar degrees of brutality as Zeruel. That's a really good comparison.
1: And you do get this, like, Gamera, like, desperately, like, takes off underneath her, like, Mm -hmm. inverted before she can blow his head off. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. And you get the one shot where the suit is, I don't know how they did it. (laughs) Like launched
2: into the air and falling
1: backwards. (laughs) It's fully reared up and you can see, Oh my God, they straight up have two big fucking grasshopper legs on the fucking like it. And it looks like this is what this would look like with. It's like big limbs. Mm -hmm. I, All those shots are fucking amazing. Oh, also big zero energy in, um, it's second Final Fantasy form is little ribbon weapon. Right. Yes.
2: Oh, ah, the ribbon weapons. You're right. That's entirely correct. Oh, I didn't even wish I'd caught that. Oh,
1: man. Oh, my God. What a great fucking monster design.
2: Yeah. Uh, Shinji Higuchi really, really nailed it uh, on this one. I hats off like. The bugs are also terrifying early on, and I love the the weird specificity of, uh, you know, the hunger for electricity and stuff like that. It's just like they really thought this one out. Uh, even if they didn't plot it out too much, you can tell that like they didn't, they did not half ass making this movie as like
1: dense with stuff as the first one. You know, it's it's so dense, and like it. The other thing that's cool about it is like. It really, even though it's so tonally different, they do put a lot of connective tissue to the first one. Mm-hmm. Even, even without too many characters, like you, a lot of characters from the first one get cameos.
2: Right, like the ornithologist has like a uh, a book out now about her experience about, with
1: Gamera. About Gauss, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like they've got and Tokyo Tower's still knocked over. Mm-hmm. It's and still it's the same like up. big bad general from the first movie, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And um, one of the navy folk comes back, not the relatable guy, not uh, the cute guy. His his like his buddy is back in one scene too. And of course, we, we can't forget now as a security guard. What's his fucking name? Oh right, <laughs> Obitsu. Right, he's he's fucking he's going to be in the third one too. Mm-hmm. I, if a character in those movies pops, I think weirdly it's. It's him. Like I I love the human relatability of like they're scared to see what's going on in the factory. And the other guy's like, You used to be a fucking cop. You check it out. He's like, like, wasn't cut out for it. He's like, but I was a bad cop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good a good touch of humor in an otherwise kind of humorless movie and very dark movie for the most part. They get their laughs out of the way early. Uh and they're right. appreciated. Although Gamera did get a a laugh of like, holy shit, that rules a few times out of me. Like after Gamera gets brought back uh, in a very like Peter Pan esque segment of you know the children coming together,
1: kind of just believe
2: your point. Like I think that is sort of you know we don't get the you know stay away from her. you you bitch moment or whatever. Keep your hands off her. I don't know the actual line from aliens, but get you know, away from, from her. You
0: bitch. bitch.
2: Okay. I might actually just drop the, uh, the, the real audio in there as well. Do it. Do it. <laughs> um, hell yeah. Like we don't get that version of like motherhood image. Like, but we do get, uh, you know, the moment of like all the children around mm-hmm. Asagi and Midori as they like pray over Gamera to bring him back to life. But then when he makes his dramatic re-entrance, he hits the gamma
1: Drift! <laughs> it is the coolest thing a kaiju's ever done.
2: It fucking rules! <laughs> like, hits the ground oh and slides while shooting fireballs out of his mouth. It is so sick. <laughs>
1: it, that's the closest thing to, like, the Akira bike slide a yeah. kaiju movie has. Right. And it's weaponizing the silliness of the premise, right? It's like flying fire, breathing turtle. We can't make something cool out of this. Actually. We can lean
2: in so hard that you slide across the ground. That's how you do it. You know, like (laughs) it also, it feels connected even in a really goofy over the top cartoonish way to the emphasis on like the physicality of how big all of these things are. Like the idea right. that, yeah, if that thing just hit the ground and kept moving, it would kept keep moving for a long time, you know? Like right. It just rocketed onto the ground. Of course, it's going to slide forever.
1: How did you like the, the fins? Uh, the
2: fins on the arm? Yeah. Uh, they look better. They definitely make it look better while he's in flight, but the insert shot of them retracting back up felt a bit like showing off, I guess, from the creature design perspective.
1: Sure. Sure. So the, I'm, those are sort of controversial. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Mm -hmm. I love them. That was actually a, so things I learned when I was researching this episode, Kaneko originally wanted a much more brutal Gamera design in the first movie. And he did not buy the flying saucer thing at all. He's Mm -hmm. like, that's gotta go. What if it's like a sea turtle? Oh and it's just got flippers. And and he's like, what if that's how it works? And and the studio heads were like, cannot fucking do that. And must have big goofy eyes. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing he does when they're redesigning Gamera for the second film is he's like, no more googly eyes. And like small, like do the fins. So if you'll notice, he's got webbed hands. Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas yeah, in yeah. the first
1: one, he had individual like claws fingers. more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and his switch blades are, are always out. Right. Which I dig. I dig the callback to like, he tries to do the, the camera, like switch from blade the attack. block shank right. yeah. and <laughs> the legion queen backs up. <laughs> it's like, Oh, you're fast. Hmm.
2: Right, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool way of acknowledging like yeah the same tricks might still, you know it's still part of Gamera's move set but just that slight moment shows that the enemy is more serious you know like every beat of action feels so purposeful in right. in this movie uh, I love that you could it's one of those action movies where you could break down like every move sentence by sentence and it would just like read great. You know, Mm -hmm. I, that's, that it to me is like the goal in a good fight scene is to get it to the point where you could like actually write it out in a sentence and it would still feel, you know, like a story is being told. Definitely. I had this sort
1: of, uh, let me try and like relate this back to like the greater theme of our podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I had like a shower thought. Last night after watching this movie, after I think texting you just like, holy shit, the second Legion queen fight <laughs> the first one, actually, because I-, I love the first one more. Yeah. Um, but there is something to, th- this is like a phenomenon that I don't know that I've ever seen it happen in, uh, an American film or comic. Uh, with the exception of a martial arts type film, Mm-hmm. With the exception of like maybe the Matrix, which is strongly like anime inspired, right? But there is there's a certain drama that comes from tactics. Mm. Tactical tactical drama. Um, and you you get it in shonen anime a little bit. You get it in the gamera movie. It's uh Friend of the podcast, Justin Charity, talks about the the Wall Maria arc uh-huh. in Attack on Titan. That is like what makes that arc good, like worth watching, is mm. this idea of like you having two opposing forces. You as the omniscient narrator can see what they're doing and the comparative tactics of it generates a kind of drama. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that, that's in these fight scenes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's really cleanly, dramatically written action rather than, um, action as noise for emotional effect.
1: Right. Uh, you never get this in a Marvel
2: movie. Definitely not, but I don't want to write all American action movies off this broadly. I know what you're saying that like, if you're into this kind of thing, the best place to go for it is, more often than not like action that is descended from martial arts movies is like particularly good at this kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm thinking about like there's one game of throne game of Thrones episode that I think is, is pretty good for this, which is the attack on the wall. Like the very first one.
1: Yes, um, you are right. And I love that. I love that episode and they do, they do do this.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think like military dramas, um, uh, you know, Dunkirk, we've talked shit on Christopher Nolan, but I really like Dunkirk. I like Dunkirk. Dunkirk is probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie because it's so, you know, not caught up in so much of his other bullshit. It's just like a good war movie and getting to see like all different groups of moving parts working in sync is not quite the same thing, but Scratches a similar itch, you can tell I'm reaching here. I know that you've got me, but uh, i I just I feel like there can't there there must be other alternatives as well
1: no you're it's i I think you're right i I love plus one on Dunkirk that is maybe not my personal favorite Chris for Nolan movie, but I would put that in his high tier mm. in his highest tier, probably no and, and it now that I'm thinking about it i think I think that strain of storytelling probably originates with the seven samurai.
2: Oh uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's as good a, a place to consider it as any, that's an, an interesting movie. Cause like that also turns like heist movies and any movie about like getting the gang together into a similar kind of like tactical story. Like heist movies are all about tactics, right? It's drama told through tactical action
1: yes you're that's it in the in in american movies you get it in oceans 11 Mm. it's it's the heist thing or heat you know or Or, well yeah i mean heat well there's all sorts of stuff going on in heat is gamma Two the heat (laughs) of of uh the heat of kaiju films no the heat of kaiju films would be gamma versus godzilla which almost happened Oh my Actually. god! I'm just picturing it like coming down
2: to camera and Godzilla sitting at a, a, a diner table, and you never see them in the same shot. Just like, <laughs>
1: who's you know what who? The difference between you and me is no fucking spinning from me. <laughs> <laughs> Does um, this make
2: uh, Godzilla Robert
1: De Niro? And e- e- yes, because the original godzilla would be the raging bull
2: right (laughs) now i'm just picturing Gamera, you know mouth agape eyes bugged going great
0: big ass
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if you want to talk about mouth open eyes agape i i i I think the the best practical effect shot in this film i think is the reaction and this is also biblical right it's like mm-hmm. jesus getting stabbed in the side but like there is the in the first legion quite fight scene where the queen uses her hind limbs for the first time mm-hmm. you haven't seen them before they were they were tracked out of the ground and she gets him in the side yeah oh. geyser of <laughs> right geyser the- of blood and the one shot of like him like clearly vi- like great acting great suit acting mm-hmm. of like like, you look at the stupid monster rubber suit and it physically looks like, oh, God, I've never been in so much pain. What the fuck? It's so, yeah, it's it's the passion of Gamera
2: would be another title for <laughs> this. passion movie. of Gamera.
1: <laughs> that, yeah, that is that is what these fight scenes are getting the bit of his shell blown off. So, oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, it's
2: like y- 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 Everything about these fight scenes, again, it's like the physicality of this movie, even in that first encounter, the way that, oh, like we cannot take off from the ground in these helicopters because the ground is vibrating so much. Like, right. I don't know if that's actually true, but it feels true in the movie. Like everything is about just the weight of these characters and the weight of the action. You know, it's all this like humbling effect on like how little how small humanity is in the real scope of things.
1: The, the the emotional process of the film is like people who may be ambivalent about Gamera, as opposed to people who are like openly hostile toward him in the first movie, Mm -hmm. the the emotional arc of humanity in this movie is like going from vaguely ambivalent to like, damn, Gamera would literally jump on a grenade for me. Yeah. 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 Bruno Mars. Where's Bruno Mars (laughs) for this and humanity learning to do the same.
2: I mean, so obviously the the Gamera continues to pull big tricks up his sleeve uh, and there's nothing this turtle can't do and has his like spirit bomb moment at the end.
1: It is some of the most in one of the traditions of this trilogy is at the end of the last fight scene, there will be some grade a anime bullshit (laughs) and like the chest opening up into the, into like the full spirit cannon is pretty dope. Yeah, because like in the first movie, he just like
2: absorbs fire through the power of love between a father and daughter. Right. And this one, it's just like, it doesn't, it's never made clear exactly how or why, what he's doing. But the fact that it first, you first see it happen like over the children and like over the children that brought him back to life feels like a pointed point of reference. It's sort of saying like, this is one last act on be of this like debt that i owe humanity to some extent
1: they will get into this in the third one mm-hmm. the third one does a good job of explaining this suffice it to say if you're into final fantasy 7 there's there's Boy, a lot of like <laughs> uh-huh so was kazanori ito apparently well actually what year is final fantasy 7 come out? well because there is the I think I think I have pointed this out before, but I will say it again. So
2: Final Fantasy seven does have an Evangelion reference in it. It is in the Golden Saucer.
1: Go look for the Magma Diver suit. It's there. Uh, Gamera two predates Final Fantasy seven. However, them explaining all the crystal woo woo happens in the third one, which came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. So definitely in
2: the wake of there's. Yeah, I, I thought a lot about the uh, the weapons you know, capital weapons in uh, in Final Fantasy VII, particularly this kind of thin line between, you know, well, yeah, like this, like, invading force from outer space that crashes on Earth and sets up seeds and, mm-hmm. like, little, you know, smaller miniature enemies that provokes the response of, uh, you know, giant kaiju-like defenders of Earth. It's just in Final Fantasy VII, the defenders of Earth hate humans, and, you know, right. that's kind of the environmentalist message of final fantasy seven for you. <laughs>
1: sure. I mean, and, and the, and the other thing is like, if, if you want to take the Christian metaphor all the way to the end, humanity has a relationship with their savior and their savior is the spawn of God. Mm-hmm. That's Christianity, right? In Gamera, Gamera is Jesus and God is the earth.
2: Yeah. Essentially. So
1: like there actually is like a very, like uh, the eco message, is not quite so underlined here. Although they do make a big point about like too much of a certain kind of gas in the atmosphere, oxygen instead of carbon dioxide in this instance. Mm. Right. But like it, it is thought through and they're going to do more of that in the third one. Sure. I, I think this movie also has a slightly
2: different environmentalist message than the previous one. Okay. Because Give it to me. I think it's crucial that, Like the use of electricity and the use of like fiber optics and all of these kind of higher levels of technology that humanity has, you know, modern technology, modern convenience in this film. They do attract Legion, but they're also the tools that allow us to control and destroy Legion. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I think that this movie, again, it's the idea of symbiosis, right? Instead of outright rejecting human progress and human technology, it says, actually, the point is to use it in concert with nature and use it with nature in order to to protect humanity, which I know is an idea that kind of gets batted around in Evangelion a bit. It's sort of the Gendo Futsky arguments kind of are around this very point about, like, what's the relationship between humanity, human technology, and and nature. Right. And I think that this movie comes to a point of like balance being the key that like we can use technology to assist in our protection of earth rather than damning it all outright.
1: Right. I mean, I think this is sort of part of part of the issue with uh, if I may zoom out a little bit like modern environmentalism. I'm being very hand wavy and painting with too broad of a Mm. fucking brush. Right. But like the modern environmentalist movement has not done a good enough job convincing a plurality of the electorate to adopt its ideals. Like there's like. Oil companies are huge, special interests. Mm -hmm. America's political system is not as, quote unquote, democratic as you'd think it would be, considering how much we talk about democracy. There's like huge anti-democratic, like incentives and mechanisms working against all this. All of that granted, right? However, I, I, I think there's still like a, a lot of like bristling at environmentalism from, from otherwise semi-reasonable people. I am not a centrist. I know I sound like a centrist here, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, and here's where I get to my point. I think that a lot of the pop cultural expressions of environmentalism specifically in America, I think come across as like Luddite
2: yeah, yeah, or there's there's a tendency to paint like this kind of this is sort of actually i think one of the darker underbellies of a lot of the post we're kind of coming full circle, which is great right the post apocalyptic fiction that you got so sick of that we started this conversation about uh i think presents a nefarious nefarious uh version of environmentalism where it's suggesting like humanity is actually capable of surviving the apocalypse, but will do so for enduring the sins of it's like, you know, right. Of all of the technology. And that actually this like stripped down version of humanity is like the pure one. And that this is where you get to see wh- who man really is is when you strip away all of the technology, you know? And so there's this kind of idea that it's like back to the, root of human life that reveals whether people are good or bad or not you know i feel like this is drawing
1: on a similar thing am i off base here no you're 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 totally on on base i think the other thing is is like how do i want to put this that there is an anti-science current Mm -hmm. that sometimes props up pops up in environmentalism that Masks itself in woo woo bullshit. Yeah, but that's fair to does, say. N- does not account for the possibility of human beings, technology, and nature cooperating. Like, we have trouble imagining that. We, cut, we so swiftly move from like this thing
2: that we obviously recognize is like a problem, the solution must be its extreme opposite. Rather than like the way out being a a way out of that dualism, you know, a a synthesis. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, A symbiosis again. Like that's the central theme of this movie is like this kind of working in tandem, this, you know, all three of these things being self like supporting each other. Again, it's like the removal of the, the individual. Cause the idea of like the Luddite back to the primitive thing, Encourages just as, like, horrifying an ideal of individualism, you know, as we can see in these, like, post-apocalyptic
1: stories, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, these post-apocalyptic stories don't... The hopelessness of them... And I'm, like, I'm a grimdark guy. I Kind of. Like, I'm into grimdark shit. Mm-hmm. We started this podcast because you love Evangelion, right? Right, yeah. Um, Like, I'm into... Some edgy bullshit. Right. But I think this conception of like humanity, like bitterly enduring a post apocalypse as like vaguely elevated Neanderthals suspicious of all outsiders, you know, living blood for blood. Right. is, Is actually like it's lack of hope is an imaginative failure
2: yeah yeah it is uh i was talking to a friend of mine um about like the specific appeal of zombie movies you know Mm -hmm. which i think is you know related to the the insect thing and so much of the appeal comes from being like the one person being able to administer death on the non-people you know it's like main character disease taken to its nth degree you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and
1: coming from you who loves dynasty warriors, that's something. Oh, totally.
2: This is like, <laughs> yeah. Dynasty warriors is like mindless entertainment that if you were to think about again, dynasty warriors is entirely about like the great men theory of history. It's taken like that idea and turned it into, you know, superhero, you know, right. John wick action movie nonsense. Uh, <laughs> God dynasty warriors. Anyway, I, yeah, I think that, I bring the, I I think that this movie's environmentalism is a much more mature environmentalism than the Luddite variation that we see sometimes playing out in uh, other pop representations of those kinds of ideas.
1: Yes, I concur completely. And, you know, where else could it come from? But like a society that has this weird dualistic relationship with nuclear power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Nuclear power, of course, is energy released by this splitting of a bond.
2: Whoa. Right? It, that's a very it, heavy metaphor to throw in at this last moment. But shit,
1: yeah. But it's, that's, that's all part of... That is why like, the gamma chest beam is literally his nuclear option. Right. It's his, it's his weapon of last resort. Mm-hmm. It, can o- it comes from splitting his bond. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And you're going to see the consequences of splitting that bond in the next movie <laughs> because <laughs> the Bible's over when Jesus dies. Not really. Um, But like the third Gamera movie is like, hmm, what if Jesus came back pissed with a sword? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, I can't wait. It It is the Edgelord Gamera movie. I love it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back in, I guess, a month to talk about that.